Slate Spoiler Specials are brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Bernie, the new Richard Linklater film starring Jack Black. Here in the studio to talk with me about Bernie is Slate contributor Seth Stevenson. Hey, Seth. Hey, Dana. So this is your first time spoiling with me, right? I couldn't remember if we'd ever done one before, and I think we haven't. It is my first time. Thanks for having me on. I feel like I've spoiled many a movie in my dreams with you because oh. I'm a big fan of your writing, and I'm really happy to have you in here. In my Richard Linklater wake, waking life. Rot- yeah, exactly. Dreams, in your rotoscope dreams. You. So it also happens uh, that this week you are writing a completist on Richard Linklater, which is a column we have here at Slate where some poor soul, some masochist like you watch all the works of a certain director and writes about the, the entire sweep of their career. So you are in the midst of finishing one up about Linklater now. So you're really the perfect candidate to spoil this with me. Yes, I'm steeped in Linklater. Yeah, you're just wading through Linklater right now. <laughs> so I actually want to talk about that as well. And when we're done talking about Bernie or in the middle of talking about Bernie, I want to do some sidebars on, on Linklater and, and just sort of what you make of his whole career. Um, but let's so let's start out with, with Bernie, which is kind of an unusual project for him. It's, um, it's a true crime story, right? It's based on something that it really happened in the town of Carthage, Texas, and a, a story, a crime that was reported in Texas Monthly Magazine by Skip Hollinsworth, who also co-wrote the, uh, the movie with Linklater. And you can help me talk through the story, but essentially Jack Black plays Bernie Teedy, that's his last name, yeah. who is, I believe, a Louisiana-based mortician who moves to Texas. Is that right? Is he from Louisiana? I can't remember at the wow, beginning. Wow, you know, that detail eluded me. But he ends up in, in Carthage, Texas, in right? East in Texas. East Texas. And he, beca- and he becomes sort of an assistant funeral director or mortician in the town. Which he takes offense at the term mortician, right? That's if right. Bernie T.D. were here, he would not be happy. He's a funeral <laughs> professional or something like that. What yeah, does he call himself? something like that. Funeral stager. I'm not sure what it would be. But, uh, but he's also a sort of bright light around town. He directs musicals uh, with, with townspeople in the cast. He sings songs at funerals. He's, he's everywhere uh, giving flowers to widows. He just becomes this um, bright life force in this the town. This kind of force for goodness in the town. And, and a lot of the movie, I would say the first 30 to 40 minutes of the movie are spent setting up kind of the town of, of Carthage, what it's like. There's talking head interviews with people who I didn't realize when I was watching the movie, but I realized afterwards are actually residents of Carthage, non-actors and, uh, and people who really did witness the real events being interviewed by Linklater, presumably. So there's these interviews with the townspeople and we see him kind of worming his way into the hearts of this this small town, who despite the fact that he's an odd creature who's maybe a little bit light in the loafers, right. some of them think, starts to, to really win over the conservative town, particularly the old ladies. The old ladies love Bernie Teedy, right? So that's that's all the setup of the first half hour. So he then starts to win the particular affections of this, this one old lady, Marjorie Nugent, played by Shirley MacLaine, and uh, she's sort of like the basically the bitch of the town, right? This this old lady that everyone hates. As one person puts it, she was kind of born an old lady. She was just always someone who was just a crabby old prune and a bad universally mood. detested, and detested in part because she's sitting on piles of money that she's inherited from her from her oil rich husband who's died, right? Right, right. And so, and she won't. Sp- she won't spend the money. She won't give the money away. And she just sits on it. And she's just horribly unpleasant to everyone she interacts with. Even Bernie, at first, when he, he he directs the funeral for her husband, and then he goes after to check in on her at her house, bringing flowers and chocolates and such. And she slams the door on him the first time. But he manages, as he's done with everyone else in the town, he worms his way into her heart. Right. And so then there's a, there's a little middle section of the movie where the two of them are almost maybe sort of questionably in love, right? They start taking these fancy trips together and getting massages. There's a 
really, really funny scene of them getting a massage side by side while holding hands. And he sort of becomes like her walker, right? I mean, the expression for like the, the, the gay men who would go out with old dowagers yeah. and kind of walk them up and down. He kind of takes her around town and squires her and nobody quite knows what their relationship is. First class trips to New York and to resorts and all this. Yeah. And there's a lot of wondering in the town on what's going on because they, he does seem a little light in the loafers and they're not sure is there sex going on isn't there and the movie doesn't tell it doesn't come out and tell us what the relationship is exactly behind closed doors right yeah he remains kind of an enigma which i think is kind of what makes jack flack perfect in this role we haven't really gotten yet to our evaluation of the movie we've just been summarizing it but i think i liked it more than you did i get the impression from you know what little i've i've, I've heard you say and what little i've read by you about it um I, I actually thought jack black who can really get on my nerves in the wrong movie but who i love in the right movie i, I think is very very well cast here and the reason i think is because we don't know and we and we're supposed to not quite know what to think of Bernie. He's at once lovable and somehow untrustworthy, right? Yeah. And the movie gives him an, an excuse to do to do a lot of dancing and singing and jumping around, which yeah, exactly. Jack Black the best Jack Black at. is the singing Jack Black. And I don't I think I also like School of Rock more than you did, but I think School, I of, Rock School of Rock is Oh, did, did you? That's Rock, great. Yes. That's great. So yeah, I think that's one of, of of Linklater's great kind of popular achievements. One of his not serious but absolutely delightful movies, which again has maybe the best Jack Black role ever. Yeah, he gets to do he they basically do an entire scene from The Music Man in this movie with Jack Black hopping around and singing 76 trombones. And, and the context of the scene from The Music Man, okay, now we get to spoiling, now that you mentioned the uh, the Music Man scene. So yeah, he's playing Professor Harold Hill in the 76 trombones number of The Music Man. And the moment that he's doing that is the very same day that he has just, you take it away with the spoiler. He has shot uh, an 85-year-old woman in the back four times and then stuffed her body into a freezer. That's what he's done right before hopping on stage and singing about cornets. Right, exactly. (laughs) And that's how we discovered that, you know, he, in fact, is going to cover up the murder is that we see him having just shot the Shirley MacLaine character in her garage and then kind of dropping to his knees and weeping and saying, God, what will I do? And praying to God for help. And the next thing we see, he's in full costume singing 76 trombone. So what he's decided to do is, is cover up the crime. And then the rest of the movie will be about, you know, the unfold of that, how he tries to make it seem like she's still alive. He basically continues to act as her, what he's kind of become, her sort of right-hand man, servant, he's boyfriend. He's like stockbroker, travel agent, escorts. He's everything for her. And this is where Matthew McConaughey enters the film, too, as the, as the DA of the town, right, where he's prosecuting Jack Black and he's going to nail him to the wall. Uh, and he gets to wear a gigantic cowboy hat and big uh, 1980s eyeglasses. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, again, who can be so grating in the wrong role, but who I think Richard Linklater kind of gets. I think he's sort of the muse, one of the muses of Richard Linklater. And, of course, has I think his, his all-time grandest role was as Wooderson, the, uh, the the high school girl scoping older guy in, in Dazed and Confused. Um, but here, yeah, he plays Danny Buck Davidson, the wonderfully named DA of the town, who's essentially like a, a kind of an Old West sheriff, right? And who decides at a certain point that he is going to nail the hide of Bernie Teedy to the wall. So it takes nine months for the murder to be uncovered um, because he continues to pretend that she's alive and that she's had a stroke and she's in a nursing home and he's got all these lies spinning. It's a great part of the movie, too. If, if you like that kind of catch-me-if-you-can movie about a con man, right, and kind of seeing his, his con run out of luck. And after nine months... Finally, she is discovered in the freezer. I forget exactly what tip leads to her being found in the freezer. Uh, it's one of her relatives, her niece or something, is is, uh, is calling up and finally can't take it anymore. And they get a search warrant. And they enter the house and, and someone is in there, opens up the freezer, sees the frozen food, digs around a little bit and sees her hair. And right. That's, and that's when she's discovered. Yeah. And that's as grisly as it gets. But that scene really is extremely creepy, I thought. Yeah. We don't see the murder. I mean, we see him lift the rifle and we hear the shots, but we don't even there's there's very little actual gore in the film. 
film. Yeah, as you as you say, and you get into this more in your in your completest on, on Linklater, but he's not exactly the director that you go do for suspense, thrills, and gore, right? He's very mild-mannered, and this story, I think, is told with a really keen eye to the sweet details of the townspeople telling their stories. But when it comes to the, the crime narrative, it's almost so muted. I actually thought that that was possibly a dream sequence when he shot her. It took a couple of scenes for me to realize, no, that really happened, and he's really covering it up. Also because I somehow managed to walk into this movie not knowing the actual story because I'm so blissfully out of touch with contemporary media that I didn't know that this story was about a guy who commits a murder in small town Texas, which made it made that scene a little bit more exciting and, and palm sweat inducing for me. Right. He says that Linklater is much more interested in hearing these the drawls of the townspeople, the gossipy townspeople talking about Bernie than he is in actually depicting the murder or, the, you know, that kind of ratcheting up the tension or any of that stuff. He I just have wants to say, people talk. I kind of have an affection for that. I mean, you, you also quote him as saying, I guess in an interview, that this is his Fargo, that he mm-hmm. thought of, of, of Bernie as being his Fargo. And you're right that it's a completely far cry from Fargo, and I don't think it's as good a movie. But I also wouldn't want Richard Linklater to be the Coen brothers, right? I mean, Fargo is a million times more mean-spirited and black-humored and, you know, just despair about the human condition than anything Richard Linklater does. And I'm glad there's a place for him in the ecosphere. He just loves people. And and I think part of why he, I maybe even subconsciously was attracted to this story is that after Bernie has murdered an old woman in cold blood, the townspeople still love him. They still adore him. They don't really care. They kind of want to brush aside. So, you know, she was she was a terrible old bitch. Like, who cares that he shot her? He, he just loves people. And I think he loves when he loves the idea of these townspeople having so much affection for Bernie that it doesn't even matter if he, that he killed someone. <laughs> right. And essentially it is a movie more about small town ties, right? Than, and, and about this relationship too. I think their relationship is pretty well explored. It's a large part of the movie that they're, you know, that you see her he- hen pecking away at him and his, you know, his, his kind of rage slowly boiling beneath. But I would say that the last third of the movie or so, it's not that it lost me. I was still interested in the story, but I almost feel like it lost Richard Linklater a little bit. The, the trial gets wrapped up really, really hastily. And the stuff that happens in the trial is actually quite interesting. I could have been into, I don't know, another 20 minutes of exposition on the trial and how it was researched and, you know, how the two sides put their arguments together. Because it seems like essentially what Danny Buck Davidson did, the McConaughey character, is that he he moved the venue of the trial, right, knowing that the town was too sympathetic. And he just chose this venue, St. Augustine, Texas, where, you know, people would essentially be so uh, horrified by the apparent gayness and the sort of high culture airs, right, right. Of, of, of Bernie Titi, whose high culture airs extend to being able to pronounce Les Miserables correctly, right, <laughs> right. That, that they would sort of hang him high on, on that alone. And he knows what, that you drink white wine with fish. Right, that's exactly. The other, that's the other damning factoid that the DA elicits from him. I also love that they have the Carthage, the, the place where the murder took place, the townspeople talking about, and this is, you know, by no means a metropolitan place, but even the, those townspeople talk about how hickish the people are in the venue where the trial is moved to. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the, the, the Hicks versus the Hicks, right? And all of that Hick from the Hicker. point of view of, of, of a kind of Hick. Like, I, I really think that Richard Linklater kind of gets away with it because he clearly is such a Texan and loves yeah, Texas so much. he grew so up much. in Huntsville, in this, this small town in East Texas, and he worked on an oil rig. And yeah, he's, he's that kind of person. And he's never really made a big city movie. He, all of his movies have sort of taken place away from the, the big lights of the city. Seth, I'm going to stop you for just a minute for a word from our sponsor this week, which is, we are very happy to say, Audible.com, the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. On Audible, you can find over 100,000 titles to listen to on any device, just like the one you're listening to this podcast right now. And Audible has a special offer for spoiler listeners. You can get a 30-day free trial and one free audiobook by signing up at this URL, audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. 
You can choose your free book from their vast library, including everything from classics to current New York Times bestsellers. But we have a particular recommendation for you. And I was free associating here, Seth, on true crime and uh, and the great works in true crime. And in a very, very different mode from the sweet lightheartedness and kind of folksiness of, of Bernie, the movie we're discussing today, there's one of the classics of true crime. I don't know if you know this book, Fatal Vision by Joe McGinnis. Yes, the same Joe McGinnis who has been stalking Sarah Palin for the past three years or whatever it is. Um, but he wrote a real classic of, of true crime about Jeffrey McDonald, who's an army officer and a physician who was convicted of killing his pregnant wife and small children. It's a horrifying story and uh, and full of all kinds of those true crime twists where at the end of every chapter, you know, you think he did it, you think he didn't do it, you can't tell. And, uh, and Joe McGinnis walks you through it really beautifully. And so Audible has this book and it's read by, of all people, this is when I knew I had to recommend it, Christopher Reeve. That's right. The late Superman reading Jeffrey McDonald's story to you aloud. So that's the kind of thing that you should join Audible for. And you can do that by going to audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. Well, I want to get I want to wrap up and get your reaction on this. And then I want to ask you a couple more general questions about Linklater, because there, there's some points in your completest column that I want to hash out. But so so what finally happens at the end to continue with our spoilage is that after this kind of kangaroo court trial and this other town, St. Augustine, Texas, he gets life. Right. And that was a big surprise for me, too. I sort of had the feeling because this movie has such a lightness and sweetness about it, in spite of the somewhat grim subject matter, I wouldn't even say it's a black comedy necessarily. It's almost like I don't know. It's almost like a little dramedy or something like that. And and then suddenly he's he's getting life and he's going to be rotting away in jail for the rest of his life, or at least until, as he puts it, he's 89 years old. That's when he might be eligible for parole. And the, in the final scene, we see is that when the lady comes to visit him in prison? Yeah, even in prison, he's being visited by townspeople, and he's just as joyful and buoyant as ever. He's just as kind and uh, complimentary of everyone as he ever was. He's leading a, a Sunday school study group <laughs> in the prison, His right? And he says, has not been dampened there's the so least. many people to help here. And, and, and again, I feel like this is a part where Jack Black, I thought, carried it off really well, because he has to be sort of double here. He has to be sort of lovable, but there also has to be something menacing and, and a little bit frightening about him, and I think there always is. Not that he might kill again exactly but just that he's clearly a pathological liar he doesn't really know yeah he doesn't quite know who he is right I mean he just seems like a man whose lack of self-knowledge is sort of his only strength that kind of keeps him buoyant in this in this awful world of the prison that he's ended up in and then the closing credits are, are worth staying for in this movie because not only do you get to see shots of the real life Bernie Titi and Marjorie Nugent together, but because then we see the names of the townspeople and there's a kind of a charming credit sequence where everybody gets, you know, sort of a, an image of themselves with their with their name. So but overall, would you would you say that you would recommend this movie to people? I mean, everything we're describing here, I have to say that this movie kind of won me over. I don't think it's Richard Linklater's masterpiece. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I really appreciated its kind of gentle pacing and its clever construction and just the characterizations. It's charming, which I think all of his movies to some degree are very charming and winning. And I, I loved I could have listened to those townspeople all day. In fact, I sort of wish he would just made a documentary and I sort of would have liked to just hear from the townspeople people. Maybe if he could have interviewed Bernie in jail, some if that would have been allowed somehow to get a camera in there. Um, I mean, it, it's it's close to being a documentary, but I just, those townspeople, are, they're so delightful, the way they talk about each other and about Bernie and their, their accents and everything about it. I, I should have known they were real when I was watching it through the first time because you couldn't script the way that they, they speak about him, right? I mean, there's just a, each one has a very specific flavor and, you know, different, slightly different accent and just a, you know, charming way of speaking. It's so clear that he just, he wants to get the most out of them. And I I would imagine that he probably interviewed them for a long time to get those little fragments that, that he keeps of each person. And the movie's got such a 
jaunty, lighthearted feel. The, the very first thing you see is a title card that says, what you're fixing to see is a true, is a true tale or something like that. With this, that's some down-home-ism way of telling you that it's, a, that it's a true story. Yeah, has he actually made a documentary in his career? He's made a couple. He made, he made one with Timothy Speed Levitch, the, the legendary New York uh, tour guide, uh, walking around Ground Zero a little while after 9-11. But the, the other one he made, which I really enjoyed a lot, is called Inning by Inning, A Portrait of a Coach, which is about Augie Garrido, the longtime University of Texas baseball coach coach, who's the best college baseball coach in the history of college baseball and one of the best college coaches of all time. And what's fun about that movie is it uh, you can see that Linklater saw it as a way to use the spirituality of baseball, the Zen-like nature of baseball, of clearing your head during competition and maintaining an even keel through the marathon season and living in the, in the moment and making peace with perpetual failure. These are all the things about baseball that sort of intertwine with link late with the link later worldview i think he's got this very buddhist he loves to to find the truth of the moment and so a lot of his movies take place in 24-hour time spans or even less than that in 80 minutes of real time he he's he's all about the moment and the present and so that documentary i think there's a lot of people talking about how that college coach is able to motivate his players and able to get them to just focus on that one moment the pitch you know the ball coming at them that kind of stuff so it's it's a great documentary you can actually um stream that one off of amazon and in video right now if you want to. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know about either. I mean, those have gotten really small releases, I guess, his documentaries, because I wasn't aware of, of either of them at all. But I, I'm really glad that I asked you about that one in particular and that you happened to talk about Zen and being in the moment, because that was something I loved in your completest, is that you talked a little bit about Linklater's fascination with time and how his movies unfold in time, and that specifically he's kind of not at all interested. He wants to evade the three-act structure of, you know, this is the pacing of this is when things should unfold in time. I mean, I think the kind of first and one of the most striking examples of that is his slacker which I didn't realize it was a 24-hour time period. Is it it unfolds in one day, like dawn yeah, to dusk? Yeah, one day, yeah. It's dawn to dusk and then the light comes and then the sun rises up again right at the very end of the movie. Right. So that's also the before sunrise, before sunset yeah, thing, right? Kind of timing first, it with the, yeah, the his, heavens. His first four movies all take place in 24-hour time Days and Confused, spans. right? Suburbia. Uh, suburbia and uh, before, I mean, before Sunrise and right. uh, Slacker all take place in 24-hour time spans. And in, in Slacker, there's a scene where somebody's reading from Ulysses, which of course takes place in one 24-hour time span. And then in uh, uh, before sunrise, it, it, the action takes place on June 16th, which is Bloomsday, which is another Ulysses reference. Right. So Linklater is this like deeply read philosophical guy, and he, he thinks a lot. Uh, he's also a cineast, and he thinks a lot about structure and that kind of stuff. And it, it's interesting that he went so he kept. I thought for a while that he was just going to keep making movies in, in, in within 24 hour time space. And later in Tape, the which is just a three character movie based on a play. Uh, oh right, the Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, the rape and, uh, movie. Yeah, right. exactly. And that's actually just. 80 minutes of real time that never leaves a single motel room. And like a lot of real time movies, it feels like about four hours long. Right? Yeah, it's pretty kind of airless. Yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a fantastic success. It's not the one I would immediately point you to in the... Uh in the link later over, but I'm still always interested though when when directors film plays. You know, I mean, it's always it's always a cool experiment, and sometimes it, it does come off. It's weird. Both of his both the plays that he turned into movies, Suburbia and Tape, are involve somebody from a small town who's who's gone away and achieved some kind of creative success. In uh, in in uh, Tape, it's a filmmaker. In uh, Suburbia, it's a musician. They've gone off and they've they've achieved this creative success, and then they've come back to these small hometowns and they've met with resentment from their old high school pals. And so so it's interesting to me that he sort of made that movie twice. There, you, you get the sense that maybe he has gone back to Huntsville and maybe not had a great time on occasion. Don't go back to Huntsville. Good <laughs> advice. Now he lives in Austin, right? Yeah, he's been in Austin since the mid-1980s. And he basically 
made Austin film culture. I didn't even realize this. He co-founded the Austin Film Society, and he is in you know hugely responsible for the thriving film culture that's still in Austin. I, I mean, that doesn't surprise me to know, and that I wouldn't be surprised as well. I don't know if he does this, but does he offer some kind of fellowships or a Sundancey Institute type? Like, I'm sh- you know, I'm sure he does. He's still got his production facilities there. He still lives there. He does all sorts of stuff in the community there. So that's what I mean about him just being good for the ecosphere. Like he doesn't have to make a great movie every time. I'm just really glad that Linklater's out there. Yeah, he's. I will always see his movies because I think he's just got such a big heart, and it always comes through. And every time he makes a movie, you can sense the reason why he made it. He doesn't make movies just to make movies. He makes movies because he's taking on some kind of challenge. or Trying to solve a problem. Solve a problem, some kind of structural thing he wants to do or some kind even his children's movies, which some people might consider sellouts like Bad News Bears or School of Rock. They're sort of like these you know, more straightforward studio movies. But both of those movies, despite being kids movies, the message is to question the establishment. I mean, School of Rock is all about like, don't listen to the man. And Bad News Bears, you've got the Billy Bob Thornton character and this bunch of rat tag kids who 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 uh, you know beat the team that's coached by Greg Kinnear. Who's like you're right, and Days and Confused guy. is about that too, right? I mean, Days and Confused is kind of about an institution as much as it is yeah, about the various kids. The in high it. school quarterback won't sign the pledge not to do drugs and alcohol. He's going to do it on his own terms. It's always about someone standing in opposition to to the establishment, which I think is how Richard Linklater, no doubt, views himself. Right. Oh, this is all fascinating, Seth. I can't wait to read your completest once it's complete. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much for coming in to talk. Link later, and please spoil again with me soon. Thanks, Dana. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.